Everybody, welcome to Exponential Wisdom. I'm here with my dear friend, Dan Sullivan, my coach. And pal, good to see you again. Good to hear your voice. A real pleasure. And I was really surprised about six weeks ago, five weeks ago, that I was asking Eleonora, who sets up our podcast, and I said, is Peter, you know, available? And she says, no, he's in the Vatican. I said, Peter Diamandis is in the Vatican. I said, he's got other projects besides the one he tells me about. <laughs> so, so talk about this, because yeah. the topic that you zeroed in on for your panel there, you know, I guess the whole conference for a week was on longevity and life extension. And, you know, anybody who's in coach gets hit with this the first two hours that they're in the workshop. So we had a number one starting, first workshop starting today. And I just came a half hour before we came on for the podcast. And people say, well, do you actually believe you're going to live to 156? And I said, it's not belief. I said, it's just part of my brain now. So we had a long conversation. And you and I, I think probably one of the connectors right from the beginning when we first met each other, Peter, was the whole notion of living way beyond the norm. Beyond the expected average expiration date. Yeah. Yeah. So as you know, I've, I have a number of companies and investments, but I'm tracking this and I've gotten the chance to meet amazing people, amazing CEOs, amazing innovators. So one thing I do every year for my XPRIZE benefactors, there's two groups. There's a group called the Innovation Board, who contribute $150,000 a year, and then a group called our Vision Circle that contribute half a million dollars a year, and this money runs the organization. And so as a return, I organize an amazing five-day adventure trip for them, themed, right? So one is on AI, and we're there with Larry Page and Ray Kurzweil. One's on space, and we're there with Elon Musk and Richard Branson. I mean, they're super high-end adventure trips. And this year, it was on regenerative medicine and longevity. And I piggybacked on an event going on at the Vatican that a friend, Robin Smith, was putting on. We took a group of 60 or 70 of our benefactors there for five days, and we spent time meeting with some of the top thinkers in this space. George Church. George is an MIT, Harvard, MD, PhD researcher, one of the guys who created CRISPR technology for gene editing, and we're diving deep into CRISPR and how it's going to impact human aging and human disease. And then I had Martine Rothblatt there. Martine is one of the most extraordinary humans on the planet. She is the CEO of United Therapeutics, which is a company she started to save her daughter's life, who had a rare pulmonary disease and built a $6 billion pharma company. And Martine's goal is to regenerate organs, lungs, heart, livers, kidneys. And then I brought Lou Reese and Mei Mei Hugh, who are co-CEOs of United Neuroscience. And they're focused on creating vaccines against muscle waste, vaccines against Alzheimer's, vaccines against Parkinson's. Bob Hurry, my partner, mm -hmm. your friend. In, Stem cells. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Bob was there talking about what we're doing in cellularity. Mm -hmm. And then I brought another friend, Osmond Kibar, the CEO of Samumed, which is $12 billion private miraculous company. Mm -hmm. So we spent five days with these CEOs. And since it's at the Vatican, couldn't help but have a conversation around the morality of this stuff. Mm -hmm. So there, you know, in the central hall where these types of conversations take place, I was on stage with Sanjay Gupta. I was on one side of the conversation, you can imagine. Sanjay Gupta was mediator and MD with CNN. 
And then on the other side was another scientist, Francis Collins, who is the head of the NIH. He's also a deeply religious man. But then there was a reverend from the Catholic Church. Here, I've got the actual names. It was a rabbi, Dr. Edward Reichman, an elder, Dale Renfind, a reverend father, Dr. Ostriaco. So we had three religious leaders, and we're having this debate around the, the mortality of, of immortality. immortality. And you reversed it. Yes, and, and I couldn't help. I flipped it. I said, guys, we should be talking about the immorality <laughs> of mortality. <Yeah. laughs> that got a few interesting looks. But it was interesting. So Sanjay Gupta asked the rabbi to go first, and the rabbi talked about the biblical history here, which I found fascinating. And he said, you know, according to the Bible, lifespan of humans used to be like seven to 900 years old. And then after the time of Abraham, there was a new covenant law put down by God that the life of man should be reduced to 120 years old. Well, that's the barrier right now. Yeah, but I'm, I'm saying... Okay, if that's the deal, can we just at least agree on having all have 120? What is this, you know, 70 or 80 BS that we've got right now? So that was fascinating, and I didn't know that. I learned a lot in this conversation. I was amazed, Dan, on how non-resistant these guys were. I mean, there was the sense that, listen, the afterlife is much greater, much grander. You shouldn't Mm -hmm. not want to do that. But, you know, you also shouldn't, like, end your life now. So I asked the question, okay, is it immoral for us to want to add 30 years mm-hmm. on people's lives? Everybody agreed basically, no, that's fine. The idea of going from like 80 to 110, 120 is okay. I said, great, you know, <laughs> let's agree on that. <laughs> and then we can negotiate more later. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and all who don't agree will die and then we'll renegotiate. Negotiate again. <laughs> negotiate with everybody who's for it. You know, it's really interesting because it's 31 years since I've had 156 as my goal. And I kept this to myself for about the first five years. Because I just wanted to see if I changed the thought, because thoughts are constant reinforcement. I mean, if you have a mindset, you're constantly reinforcing it. So from around 87 to 92, every time I thought about my lifetime, I said 156. I just kept saying it. You know, it was like Rain Man, you know, definitely 156. (laughs) You know, it's got to be 156. And at the five-year mark, I couldn't think of any other numbers since 156. But the big thing, Peter, and I always say about this, that the big impact of 156 isn't that I'm in the future and I'm trapped in the future. It actually gives me an enormous amount of focusing in the present. I said, I got more than enough time. You can start this project. You can invest in this because I've got more than enough time. You know, I just turned 74 the day before you turned 57. The interesting thing about it is that if I'm 74 and I think I'm going to die at 80, I'm not on this podcast today. Interesting. But if I'm 74 and I'm bouncing it against 156, we're looking forward to 25, 30 years of podcasts. And what's changed is my whole perspective of how much time I have allowed. I know yours is 700, which I think is absolutely bizarre and ridiculous. (laughs) But 156, you know, I mean, go. But here's the thing. I forget what it's called, but there's a barrier, and it's like the four-minute mile right now that as far as verifiable records of people living, 
Uh, there's only one person who has exceeded 120, a woman in France, and she lived in the same village for 122 and a half years. They got her baptismal certificate and she's done. But there's a lot of people who've gotten to 110, you know, it's starting to build up. There's kind of like critical mass over 100 now. I think in the U.S. it's like 80, 80, 90,000 people are over 100 now. What part does critical mass of people who are achieving high age do to the forward push on this? Well, first of all, you and I both know a lot of this is a mental game. Yeah. It's a lot of this is a mental game. If, if you've given up nature wants to reuse your bits, as you've said so many times. You've got so much examples of the husband who's married to this woman all her life, and she dies, and he just weeks later is gone as well. So I do believe that your fundamental belief, right, and I'm with you 100%. I mean, I'm in the mental game of extreme longevity, and we're going to be intercepting more and more technologies that extend our life further. But we're going to start to understand fundamentally, why do we even age at all, mm-hmm. right? And so I think the data, so a friend I know, age 100 to like 107 is labeled a centenarian. I think like 108 onwards is like a super centenarian. And this person's been going around and gathering the blood samples and sequencing and the phenotypic data from super centenarians. So the more people we get there, the more we'll start to understand genetically, environmentally, what gets us there. And of course, the goal is to get there and then get further and then get further. And will it be stem cells? Will it be wind signal pathway messaging? Will it be removal of senescent cells with senolytic medicines? We'll find out, right? All these experiments are going on this decade, Mm -hmm. and it's much better to be alive now than having been alive 50 years ago. But a lot of this, again, the mental game, and I want to bring up another point. On this trip with me was Tony Robbins, who's a dear friend. He's a benefactor in the XPRIZE. And we were talking about the notion that, you know, I go around and I ask people, a lot of people around the world at different ages, how long do you want to live? There are two factors that determine the mental game. One is how they're feeling. If they're in a large amount of pain or they're depressed, no one wants to live in that circumstance. So keeping eating well, sleeping well, exercising, keeping as you do. You know, I was on my Vasmer machine for, which is two blocks from my house at the Bulletproof Coffee Lab down in Santa Monica this morning and thinking about you, pal, as I was freezing my butt off. <laughs> anyway, keeping healthy is important. Mm-hmm. But the second thing is caring about things beyond yourself. Mm-hmm. In other words, if you have a purpose and a mission in life bigger than your life, then there's something to look forward to. Mm -hmm. If you feel like you've lived your life and it's like I have nothing to look Mm -hmm. forward to, then it's game over. What I told the group today, this is brand new coach people. So they just have tails. They don't even have back legs yet. They're just just coming out of the water. They're getting used to uh, air breathing and everything. And I said, you know, here's the fundamental fact that there's an exponentially increasing number of boosts and supports that you're going to get from the medical and the scientific world. I mean, from year to year, when we do the longevity convergence at Abundance 360, you can just see what's happened in 12 months. 
But I said, none of this is interesting to you if you don't have three factors going in your life. Friends who are actually progressing in their lives, not declining in their lives. So you're surrounded by friends whose future is bigger than their past. You have money so that you'll never be dependent or living off other people. So you can always be financially independent. And the third thing is that you got a purpose such that what's going to happen in your future is a lot bigger than what happened in your past. And I said, if you got those three mental frameworks, then your eyes, you know, our famous phrase, your eyes will see and your ears will hear what your brain is looking for. And I just Mm -hmm. notice that with a goal of 156, I'm on the internet every day and I come across five or six very, very interesting little experiments. And the reason is because my brain's looking for them. I only see them because my brain's looking for my ear. And the other thing is that I have relationships on a friend basis that now go back 60 years to teenagers, you know, like children of our clients who I'm friends with, you know, and they the third generation in my family. So these are the grandchildren of my siblings. I still have five living siblings who are in their 60s through 80s. And I've really connected with the third generation down who are in their 20s and 30s. They listen to the podcasts, they get the books. Plus, I put a standing offer about 20 years. If anyone wanted to go to college, I'd pay for half the tuition. So I've got 12 of them who have gone through university and Uncle Dan, they really, really like Uncle Dan. You know? <laughs> okay, goes, yeah, this Uncle Dan, we really you know, he's really interesting. But when I chat with him, it's not a seventy year old talking to teenagers and twenty year olds. There's a lot of common ground. So they're friends, you know. So my feeling is that every ten years that I progress age wise, I'm gonna go back and make friends with another generation of teenagers and twenty year olds. Because mm-hmm. human nature is human nature, but the factors that they're dealing with are very very different than when I was a teenager 20 years old. And I take that into account. Things are shifting, you know. The world they're looking at is very different from the world of the 1950s. So, you know, my version of that, I have at the Abundance Group, which is my team that supports everything I'm doing, about a a dozen. It's a group of uh, millennials, my strike force Mm -hmm. in their mid-20s. Some of them are aging into their late 20s, this terrible thing. (laughs) Well, they're millennials with their shit together, actually. (laughs) They are. are. I mean, if you really want to know the truth, that's... uh, (laughs) I love seeing the world through their eyes because the challenge has become, as we go through life, we tend to become jaded, not because of any other reason than we tend to pay attention to new things and stuff that we've experienced before, we categorize that as been there, done that. So I remember I had just landed in JFK... And I was racing to get into Manhattan for an event. I had a helicopter service pick me up to get there to a rooftop for an XPRIZE that we were launching. And I was in with uh, one of my early Strike Force members, Cody Rapp, and we're in the helicopter screaming along the Hudson River to get to this event. And I'm sitting there on my phone reading emails, and he's like, Peter, stop, look out the window. It's like, holy shit, we're like this helicopter. This is so, you know, if I, if I can say it, yeah. it's so fucking cool. It's like, you know, but thank you for that. Because yeah. the reality is all of this stuff is amazing. We live in the most amazing time. Yeah. And ultimately that yeah. keeping a vibrant, youthful community around you, family, friends, workers, whatever it is, keeps it new and energized. 
You made reference to couples, you know, Buckminster Fuller is probably the most famous one. Uh, His wife was in a coma and she came out of the coma and he had died with his head on her bed while she was in the coma and she woke up about 15 minutes after he died and then she died within the next hour. Wow. He he thought that she was kind of gone and then he died and then she, she died, but you know, they were deeply connected and we don't comprehend the connections that people who have been in love and partners for decades and decades, what it has. But the thing that I've noticed is this narrow band that a lot of people have that their friends are within a five year, maybe five years younger than them, five years older. And when they hit the 60s and 70s, first of all, they're retired, which is just a email <laughs> to the universe for death to come in. Anybody, anybody listening, do not retire. Look at the statistics. You're not even allowed to say the word. Well, here's a statistic that's bracing. Social Security was established in the United States, 1936-1937. 60 years later, 1996, they took an average of the average payout. So, you know, 65 is when you get it. The average payout over 60 years was 29 months. Interesting. Yeah. Two and a half years. See, I mean, that's why I always said Social Security was a Ponzi scheme. The government never thought that they were going to have to pay out. It's still running out of money. Yeah, it's still running out. But this narrow band of peers that if they're excited, you're excited. But if they're declining, you're declining too because you don't have any friends. I cracked the code when I was about eight years old that I could talk to adults. And I had a 78-year-old woman who lived next to us. I lived on one farm and she lived on another. And 78 years, she had never been out of that house overnight. She had lived in that house every night for 78 years. But one day we were talking and we would talk because she'd give me cookies and milk. And if I could keep the conversation going for two or three (laughs) hours, it was really good. But I asked her all sorts of questions like, what was it like to grow up on a farm without electricity, without tractors, and, you know, no radio, nothing. And it was a full life. They had a completely full life, you know, but it was different. But one day I asked her a question. This is really the jackpot question of my eight-year-old life. I said, when you were my age, did you know someone your age? And she was born in 1873. And she said, well, I didn't know him, but I met a man when I was real young who was born in 1798. So I'm sitting there in 1950, and I'm talking to someone who knew somebody in 1798, and it just gave me this framework for understanding how people can talk about experiences over generations of age and still find it intensely interesting. Yeah. One of the conversations I want to have on our next podcast, pal, that's fascinating me as I think about education and I think about all this is AI plugging into the virtual worlds to give us conversations and experiences that are as real as possible. So did you see the video recently on Google's duplex, the AI that was making a phone conversation to order a hair salon? Yeah, yeah, they couldn't tell. Well, it's the Turing Turing test, right? But it's times a thousand because the... So let's talk about that next, because I imagine a world in the near future where I'm going to go into a virtual world and I'm going to have conversations with individuals that look very real to me. My eye will not be able to tell they're not actual humans, and they'll be powered by AIs, but I'll be a conversation with Pythagoras, and he'll be talking to me about this new theorem he's come up with for angles in an isosceles triangle and Pythagorean theorem and so forth, or Mm -hmm. going to ancient Roman history or whatever it might be. 
So we are alive during the most extraordinary time, and it's only becoming more so. Mm -hmm. I'll say it was pretty amazing to be at the Vatican. I had a chance to meet the Pope. I didn't have a conversation about how he felt about aging or I'll stop there. But yeah, I'll mention one last thing, I think, which is really important. And it's a point I made on this panel, which is what we consider moral or immoral changes over time, right? So the idea of is it moral to live mm -hmm. hundreds of years if you have the option you know, while some people may say no, I'll say, well, that's your perspective, just like in vitro fertilization might have been considered immoral when it first came out, but now it's a miracle. Mm -hmm. So morals change over time. Yeah, I've been actually thinking about this a lot. And the term I've replaced for moral is that it's positively normal. In other words, it's considered normal, but it's considered positive, and that when there's a change and it's considered positively normal, I like that. then that's morality I like that. for that particular period of time. All right, but it's always a yeah. pleasure. So if you're up for it next time, a conversation about Google Duplex, yep. did it pass the Turing test? I love it. Is it going to create a bizarro world where you're not really sure if you're talking to a human or a robot? So cool. In fact, I'm not actually sure that you're a real human. I mean, I can't touch you. I, I hear audio signals coming over. It could be digital Dan. To be really human in my terms, they have to forget things. They have to make mistakes. If they're too good, I, I get really curious. So the fact that this was supposed to be two hours today, but then I get a notice beforehand that it's only going to be an hour, kind of proves to me that you're kind of human. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, buddy. Be well, my friend. Thank you, Peter. Take care.